The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Why don't you hold your Bible, whatever you're reading from, lift it up real high and shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, Namtlanje, Vandar, Nasjaye, I will hear from God's word and my life will never be the same again because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. All right, you ready? Well, two weeks ago, we started a series talking about the stress-free life, uh, also known as the worry-free life. And uh, we read a few statistics uh, why uh, we were talking about the stress-free life, the worry-free life. Uh, one of the most interesting ones was uh, that uh, uh, worry and stress, uh, anxiety-related issues uh, cause our nation close to uh, 20 billion, I think, uh, annually. You know, they're looking at uh, work absenteeism. They were looking at uh, uh, stress-related ailments, and uh, they were looking at uh, uh, the, the pills that people need to cure stress. I mean, they said most people actually wound up in doctors' consultation rooms, not because they have something wrong with them, but because they worry themselves into those places. Amen? And so we read uh, Jesus' perspective uh, on worry, uh, stress, and anxiety, and he said in Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about anything. You remember? I mean, he cut to the chase. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Or if you are younger, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. And so Jesus said, don't worry, right? And then we read last week, Paul's perspective. It's interesting. He said the same thing. Don't be anxious about anything. If you read in the NIV, don't worry about anything. So it seems all of them are saying we should not worry. And uh, we say this series is called the uh, worry-free life, the stress-free life. It is not called the problem-free life because there is no such animal. You know, I wish there was a place we could go and uh, it, life will all of a sudden become problem-free. But that's not what we see in Scripture. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will suffer tribulation. There's going to be some, some things thrown at you. The enemy is going to come against you. Things are going to, you know, fall apart. Uh, but he said, in the midst of all that, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Amen? So in the midst of all life challenges, we as God's children can have peace. We as God's children uh, can be full of joy in the midst of all life circumstances. Amen? And so both Jesus and Paul have the same perspective. And we're going to read a little bit of Paul's perspective, and then we're going to go and read what is uh, Peter's perspective on the matter. And so Paul says in Philippians chapter number 4 from verse 6 to 8, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. We talked about that last week, uh, the importance of thanksgiving and how it's a faith indicator. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And uh, when you do that, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there is a peace that is called the peace of God. It's not the peace of this world. Because the way the world gives that uh, peace is through circumstances. A lot of people have been waiting uh, for circumstances to line up so that they can experience uh, some peace. And uh, I mean, they never, it's just an unattainable goal. You, you, things are not going to line up enough for you to have some peace. The only way you can have peace, though, is to uh, receive this that we call the peace of God. And I like this kind of peace because it's constant. It's based on the character of God. He calls himself the Prince of Peace. And the Bible tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is constant. So this kind of peace can be constant in your life. 
the peace that he's offering, he calls it the God kind of peace or the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It goes beyond what you can figure out or goes beyond what you can understand. Because sometimes you try to figure it out in your own uh, uh, carnal self. You know, you try to figure out uh, based on science. It just doesn't add up. So what do you do then? You go for the peace that goes beyond what you can feel. Hey, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to have peace in the midst of this situation anyway because I have the Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen? You know, sometimes we change the formula, you know. Uh, 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 you're trying to attain this peace and two plus one is three. And then you switch it up. I'm going to do one plus one plus one. Yeah. You still end up at yeah. three. And then you switch it up. Now nah, I'm going to multiply three times one. You still end up at three. In other words, you only got three rand in your account. <laughs> what do you do then? You go for the peace of God that surpasses what? All understand. You go for the peace of God that surpasses uh, the things that we can see with this physical eyes, things that we can relate to uh, with our carnality. Amen? And so this peace is available. This is the good news. This peace is available for every single one of God's children. And the Apostle Paul tells us how to receive this peace. He says in verse 8, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. Someone say meditate. meditate. In the NIV, that word meditate is translated think. He says, think on these things. So the way we maintain this kind of peace in our lives is by thinking thoughts that are true, noble, just, pure, uh, lovely, of a good report, full of virtue, and things that are praiseworthy. When you do, you are going to maintain a state of peace. This is why the Bible says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, you will keep him, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So it's one thing when we come and we pray for you, lay hands on you. I believe in the laying on of hands. It's one thing when we lay hands on you and cast out, you know, fear, cast out anxiety. It's a spirit. We can cast it out, right? It's a spirit that does not come from the Lord. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, uh, but he has given us the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind, right? Uh, we can cast out that spirit of fear, but once we cast it out, Jesus told us that if a demon leaves, right, he's going to go find his friends, and if, when it comes back, if the house is still empty, empty, oh man, it's gonna be, they're going to have a big party in that empty house. And so how do we make sure that the house is not empty? We get you to start filling up your mind with thoughts that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. In fact, there's one uh, a businessman, he, he's into uh, interior decorations, and this is verse 8, is the verse for their company. The, the objective is to uh, fill people's homes with things that are true, noble, just. Because sometimes you go into people's homes and they're full of death. And so he says when he goes out to interior decorate people's homes, the first thing he wants to tell them is, hey, we need to find some things that are true. Is it true leather or not? Now, now here's, here's the point. The point is you should decorate the uh, 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 lounge of your heart with thoughts that are true, thoughts that are noble, thoughts that are just, pure, uh, lovely, of a good... Here's the question. Thoughts that are lovely. Is it a lovely thought that you are going to wind up a loser? <laughs> so you shouldn't decorate that. Uh, uh, you shouldn't decorate your heart with those kind of thoughts. Don't meditate on those thoughts. Amen? In other words, we should be selective about the kind of thoughts that we allow in our hearts. Proverbs 4, 23, he says it like this. He said, guard your heart with everything you have. Guard your heart with all diligence. And he's not talking about the blood pumping organ. He's talking about the faculties of your thought, you know. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart, if you read in the NLT, New Living Translation, out of your heart, your heart determines the course of your life. Your thought life 
is very important when it comes to maintaining uh, 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 a peace of God in our lives. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So you've got to keep your mind uh, stayed on the Lord. Amen? Said, guard your heart. Set a perimeter around your heart and make sure you check out every thought that you allow in the garden of your heart. Your heart is a garden and thoughts are seeds that either carry life or death. There are no neutral thoughts. You know, gentlemen, when your wife says, what are you thinking about? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. There's no such thing. There are no neutral thoughts. You're thinking about something. Amen? So thoughts are seeds that either carry life or death. And here's what's interesting about those seeds is that they are not obvious. The devil is not obvious. You know, uh, growing up, we used to think that the devil would show up with a, with a red suit and a pitchfork and two horns sticking out. Then everybody would spot him from afar and say, devil, leave me alone. No, he comes through thoughts that sometimes look like uh, seeds of life. And you and I have to investigate to see if it fits what uh, uh, Philippians chapter number 4 verse 8 just qualified as a good life-giving thought. In other words, you have to think about what you're thinking about. You know, I used to really, really hate security at airports. You know, there's a long line and, man, they're going too slow. Until the Lord rebuked me. And he showed me that it was for my own safety that they do what they're doing. Because, I mean, think about it. If they let every, if they let every rascal just go in there with whatever they're carrying uh, on the plane, let everyone just go in there without checking them out, uh, someone could get on the plane with a bomb. And when that thing uh, uh, detonates, man, I'm on that plane. And it's going to compromise the safety and security of, of, of me. And so now, I don't have a problem with security at airports. Man, if you have to strip the dude down, strip him down. If you have to take out his dentures, take them out. Do whatever you have to do to make sure that everyone on that plane is safe. And that's what you must do with every thought. That comes into the plane of your heart, into the plane of your life. If you allow all kinds of things, and things are thrown around us uh, that are, uh, uh, are aimed at, they call it uh, uh, conditioning, classical conditioning. I think the name of the gentleman is uh, Pavlov. It's called the Pavlovian theory. They're trying to condition you every single day. They're trying to condition you. They're throwing thoughts at you, and these thoughts are meant to release some things in your heart. In fact, consumers love it when you receive thoughts of deficiency, when you feel like you need something to complete you. Man, they love it. That's marketing at a high level, right? When you drive home, there's going to be billboards that are going to be telling you you're overweight. But if you buy this product, you're going to be the right weight. When you buy a magazine, man, you flip through every page. It's telling you your hair is too soft. Your hair is too strong. Your hair is falling. You are too big. You are too skinny. You are too light. You are too dark. They're going to catch you. They're going to find you. Man, if you're trying to get your uh, uh, fulfillment from those, they're going to find you. They will find something for you. They'll tell you you're too dark. You go over there and get on a bleaching course. The day you finish, they'll turn around and say, black is back. Black is back. The darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Man, that will switch on you. Amen? And so every thought that gets thrown at you, whether it's an advertisement, it's a billboard. Man, I'm always constantly checking out thoughts. Whatever they're throwing at the news, I'm always constantly checking it against the word of God. Amen? To see if it's going to, is it a thought of life or it's a thought that's going to bring about death. Amen. And so the Apostle Paul is very clear when it comes to our thinking. He says we must uh, uh, make sure that these thoughts are true, noble, just, pure, uh, lovely, of a good report, uh, full of virtue and praiseworthy. And those are the thoughts that we must adopt. Those are the thoughts that we must think on. So your peace, if you're writing down notes, your peace is a byproduct of your thinking. 
if you're writing down notes, number two, thoughts are vehicles carrying life or death. Therefore, every thought must be investigated. How many thoughts? Every thought must be investigated to see what it's carrying on the inside of it. Can I get an amen? 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to read from verse 4 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 uh, from verse, verse 4 to 5. So I'm not saying you're not going to have challenges thrown at you. You're going to have problems, trouble all over us in this world. I mean, we live in an imperfect world, right? And uh, I mean, until Jesus comes and sets up rule and reign on the earth, it's going to be crazy things happen that are going to tempt you or invite you into this place of worry and stress. The other day, two years ago, Pastor Henry had his laptop stolen from him. Laptop stolen, jammed his car, opened the door, took his laptop. Picked up the phone to try and sow thoughts of worry, stress, and fear in me. Now, <laughs> it was my. It was, it's not my laptop. Hey, hello, PT. Just to let you know that they stole my laptop. So, so what should I do? I said, you talk to the church administrator. Why are you telling me? Why are you inviting me in your worry? You talk to the church. He said, Well, I am the church administrator. I said, Then you fix it. Man, people will get on the phone and spend airtime that they bought with their hard-earned money so they can sow thoughts of worry. And I don't want to hear it. If it's a praise report, yeah, it's welcome. You call me with the testimony, praise the Lord. And so I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, well, I'm going to go to the police. And uh, I'm going to get the police to fix it. So what he, you know, anticipated was, you know, go to the police and then, you know, get to the police. You watch his too much CSI. <laughs> go to the police, get the police to go with him to four you know, and the police are going to ask for the tape. Can we see the tape of the parking lot? And then they're going to get the tape, zoom in and see facial recognition and then find the person somewhere in Joburg. And then there is your laptop back. So you went there. What are you here for? They lost my left. Where? Four ways. Oh, Chief, four ways these days. Ah, <laughs> four ways. Ah, it's happening a lot, Bob. <laughs> I mean, even the cops understood the carefree life. <laughs> Worry-free life. That's on you, bro. They said, all we're going to give you is a police report. You go figure it out. I said, no, you're not going to put it on us. It's your baby, right? And so... Uh, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, 4 to 5, uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He seems to point on something that is really powerful here. He says, for the weapons of our warfare. Now, this implies that there is a warfare going on and God has given us weapons, right? Amen. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, let me uh, uh, explain some things right there. This is going to help you. Uh, growing up, I used to think that strongholds were uh, spiritual entities in heavenly places. <laughs> Somewhere out there, you know, strongholds. And I remember going to an all-night prayer meeting, religious one. I mean, we, were, we would go at it. And the one time I was praying, and we were praying down strongholds from this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And we were praying down strongholds. I was pulling them down, pulling them down. Do the action. You must pull them down, right? Shanda Majiga, pulling them down. I'm pulling them down. Pulling, and the Lord stopped me halfway. Tafara, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. Doing what? Pulling down strongholds and pulling them. Pulling them from where? <laughs> said from space to where? <laughs> to here. He said, are you sure you want them where you are? <laughs> and I waited. I stopped. I said, wait a minute. I'm praying wrong. And the Lord said, if you kept reading, you would understand what these strongholds are. Sometimes you can fix all your doctrinal misunderstanding if you just keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> just keep reading. And you'll see what the man is talking about. Amen? And this is what he says. He says, this is how you pull down the strongholds. Casting down arguments. Where do arguments happen? So apparently, this, these strongholds are in between your ears. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So when financial trouble tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, you cast that sucker down. When a, a doctor's a diagnosis tries to exalt itself against the knowledge, true knowledge of God's word, you cast that thing down. That's the stronghold. Amen? And he says casting 
down uh, arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and watch this now, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's a three-step process right there. Every thought must, every thought, every thought must, number one, be brought into captivity. Just that word, captivity, uh, uh, when you hear that word, what do you think of? Jail. Prison, right? And here, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't say, only bringing the bad thoughts into captivity. Because like I said before, some of the bad thoughts will come at you looking dressed in uh, flashy clothes. They're going to look good. They look like good thoughts. It's a good thought. It's a good idea. Let's run with it. And so he said before you release it into your heart, you must bring it into captivity. You must check it out. Get that thing. Hold it in your hand. Check it out before you commit your meditation to it. Amen. You must think about what we're thinking about. You know, on TV, they have this thing called dash cam. I like action things, you know. When I watch movies, I like action movies. I don't like these ones where you have to sit around and think and figure things. I, I don't want to do that. That's not why I watch movies. I read books for that. You know, so I like action. You know, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Get them to fight, and then the good guy wins. I like those storylines. <laughs> Easy to understand. And so in this thing called the dash cam, the police is the good guys, and the citizens are sometimes the bad guys, and they're also good guys on the citizens. And so dash cam, the, they have a camera on the dashboard of the car, and the, it, it films everything, interaction from the police and the people. And so sometimes, here's what happens. You know, they stop someone, and then they start talking to the person while the person is sitting on the driver's seat, and the car is idling. That's not what we are being told to do with this verse. This verse says we must take every citizen captive. So the first thing you do is to ask them to get out of the car. Get them off the driver's seat. Turn off the engine. First of all, turn off the engine. Get out of the driver's seat. Pet them down. Ask them a few questions. And they, if they are a good citizen, they are free to go. If they are a bad citizen, at least we've already gone halfway, right? But here's what usually happens is that a bad guy, they leave him sitting in the driver's seat. The car is idling. And he's sitting there and having a conversation. And the guy just, boom, puts his foot on the pedal. Take off. And now we have to find 16 other cop cars to chase that one guy. And sometimes they cause problems along the way, you know, accidents. Sometimes they even hurt people along the way. And the drama is way too much when you don't take the guy captive from the onset. And similarly, when you don't take your thoughts captive from the onset, now we have to go to divorce uh, court case. We have to figure out what to do with the children. It all started as a thought. The deterioration of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman all started as a thought. Starts as a thought. Hey, look at Jenny at work. Oh, uh, she got nice legs. Oh, yeah. My wife ain't got those kind of legs. Oh, she can cook too. Oh, oh, my wife can cook. And from the women's side, uh, uh, my husband, man, my husband is crazy. He's dumb. He's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to replace him. It starts with that. I'm going to replace him. And then sometimes it's music that drops those thoughts in your head. You must not know about me. You must not know about me. I can never another you by tomorrow. And then you start listening to that kind of music. It's encouraging you to replace them. I can never another you by tomorrow. Right? And you start, yeah, I can have, yeah, I can do better. I've always wanted someone taller, a little taller, darker, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will figure it out, man. Everything else will figure it out. And, and the thought starts to grow. The thought starts to take off. The thought, you've literally left that thought in the driver's seat, put the foot on the pedal. Man, by the time you capture that thought, man, it may be after a few years, it's caused several problems for you in your life the kids are going crazy because they never had a good example ahead of them now you have to fix the kids you have to fix yourself and you have to fix the community your relatives are traumatized everybody's traumatized 
Remember the day that you put together a big show for us. You invited us. You were kissing each other. I love you. I love you. I love you. And uh, you say, till death do us part. Where did this come from? It was a thought. Started as a thought. An unkept mind will cause problems. So every thought must be investigated. Hallelujah. Man, I'm not, I'm not condemning you if you went through a divorce, but it's time for you to keep your mind in check for the next one so that you can work it better. Amen? And so he says bringing every thought into a, a, a captivity, that's the first step, and then bringing it to the obedience of Christ. That's the second step. And when you do that, man, you're going to have a, a flourishing life. Amen? And so 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter Chapter number five. Let's look at uh, something else. First Peter chapter number five. I'm going to read from verse uh, six to eight. First Peter chapter number five from verse six to eight. Thank you, Jesus. Man, every thought must be checked out. Just like at the <laughs> airport security. I remember I was in Chicago. My wife has always said to me, hey, listen, uh, when, uh, when a sock is old, throw it away. See, my wife comes from extreme wealth. I come from extreme poverty. And so when I buy anything... Man, I want to get every penny that I put into that thing. <laughs> and if I buy some, I'm not throwing away until I've taken every penny that I've put into it. So I had a, a pair of socks that were a little torn, you know, on the uh, a big, big thumb. Big, big, what, what are those called? Big, big toes, big toes, yeah. Yeah, both of them were torn. And I was gonna, not going to throw them away because after all, that was 65, 65 runs. That's a lot of money. I'm not... <laughs> throw it on. So I was wearing them, and uh, I was in Chicago airport. And so we are walking in the security line, and the man started shouting, laptops and iPads out, belts and shoes off. And he said, you can keep your socks. Man, I'm thinking, no way I'm keeping my socks. <laughs> ain't, no way. Ooh, ain't no way I'm keeping my socks. I just took the whole thing off, just shh. Just the whole thing off. And when I went to stand on the scanner, he said, you didn't have to take your socks off. I said, no, I did have to take my socks talking about it. You got to take off my socks. Man, I'm telling when your socks are spent, just throw them away. First Peter 5, 6 to 8, right? And this is, this is Peter's perspective. So Peter also had something to say about the worry-free life. The apostle Peter, Right? Remember, we read from Jesus' perspective, we read Paul's perspective, and uh, now we are reading Peter's perspective. Man, my time is going fast. You need to slow that thing down. Uh, Peter, Peter also had a perspective, and this is what he says, verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, what does that have to do with worry and anxiety, you may ask? Everything, because the word uh, humility in that particular verse is uh, defined as being God-dependent and not self-reliant. So when he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, he's not saying, you know, the, the, the world's way of uh, defining humility is if you drive a car from 1942 and you just wear outdated clothes and you just don't wear makeup, uh, dress all the way to the ankles, plain and no colorful stuff. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm being humble. No makeup, none of that. What are you doing? I mean, no, you're not being humble. You're just inconveniencing yourself. Exactly. Amen? Amen? The definition of the uh, uh, humility in the Bible is to be God-dependent. Someone say God-dependent. As opposed uh, to being self-reliant. A humble person depends on God for everything. You want to be humble in the sight of the Lord, depend on the Lord for everything and do not become self-dependent or self-reliant. That's the definition of being humble. So what does that kind of person do? Verse 7, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. The person who is self-reliant won't cast anything on the Lord because after all, I can fix this. But a person who's humble, God-dependent, right, will cast everything on the Lord. Because after all, I can't take care of this in my own strength. Amen? And it's interesting that he says, casting all your cares on him. Cast them on him. That word cast means to forcefully thrust on him. 
and not maintain any form of connection after you forcefully. It, it is as a man who goes fishing uh, with nets. They forcefully thrust those nets away from them, from themselves, and there is no connection. And he uses the word casting all your cares or worries or anxieties on him, and he didn't say just, you know, uh, uh, fishing. Because he doesn't want you to maintain a line, a rod, fishing rod, first of all, and a fishing line to your problems. And unfortunately, that's what people do in the church. It looks like you're casting, right? Because when you pray about it, it looks like you're casting. Oh, Lord, I need you to help me fix this thing. And then you cast it, right? But if you maintain that, you know, fishing line and a fishing rod, what's going to happen, and this is what tends to happen with people in doubt and unbelief, is that every often they just kind of bring that thing back to see what the Lord has done with it lately. I know I prayed for this thing, but I just need to check to see how much progress the Lord has made. Just I need to see if He's doing anything about it. And so when He says to cast, you cast it on Him. In fact, there was a, an old song written about casting all our, our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. That's what you must do with the worries and fears and anxieties. You cast them into that uh, place and forget about it. Because you know that the Lord who cares for you is going to take care of it. So we cast how many? All of our cares on Him because He cares for us. Watch what He says in verse 8. He says, be sober, be that. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we have a devil. We have a problem here. We have a, a, an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion. He's not one. He goes about like one seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever seen how a lion uh, uh, attacks uh, a, a herd of uh, uh, buffaloes? It waits for the one that strays away. This is where you read uh, uh, Hebrews chapter number 10, 25. It encourages for us to stay together because we can do more together than you can do uh, on your own. He says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, especially as the day draws near, the day uh, of the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first uh, thing that the enemy wants you to do is to stray away and be alone so you can be lonely. And when you're in that place, man, he's got you. Because then when you're in that place, he can begin to disrupt your sober habits. And sober habits here, yeah, we're not talking about drinking either. The word sober in the Bible in this particular context is defined as being void of speculative imaginations. Did you hear what I said? He's not talking about drinking. When he says be sober, he's saying be void of of speculative imagination. You know why? Because 90% of the things uh, the, the, that people worry about is just a pigment of their imagination. I like pigment better. My wife is the, is the English genius. She just said figment. I like pigment. You know why I like pigment? <laughs> Let me tell you why I like uh, pigment. Let me tell you why I like pigment. We use that word pigment in the streets. We don't use figment. We use pigment. And let me tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because what you're worrying about is so brilliantly awesome, only a pig could have come up with it. <laughs> so it's just a pigment of your imagination. Man, you learned something at church today. Pigment. And some of you don't think this can happen in real life. Let's go over to Genesis chapter number 39. We're going to read from verse 1 to 6. Genesis 39 from verse 1 to 6. Genesis 39 from verse 1 to 6 in the Message Bible. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, you remember Joseph? Anybody remembers Joseph? He was uh, uh, Jacob's son, and Jacob had about 12 of them. And uh, Joseph was one of them. And uh, Joseph had a dream. And the Lord showed him uh, that he was going to get supernatural promotion and that his brothers were going to bow down to him. Remember the story? And uh, so he went and he shared this dream with his brothers. He said, this is what I saw. And uh, jealousy and envy grew in the brothers. And they said, man, this dreamer, we need to kill him. So they took him. 
and they were going to go and kill him. And so they, uh, before they uh, 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 kill him, they said, man, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a pit so that he can just die of starvation. I think it was Reuben who decided and suggested that we shouldn't kill him. We're going to have blood on our hands. That's not going to be a cool thing. Let's throw him in a pit. So they threw him in a pit. And then uh, while they were waiting, the Ishmaelites came through. They were merchant men, business people. They were passing by the pit. And they said, Judah was like, man, come on, let's take him out the pit and sell him. At least we can make money off of this dreamer. So they sold him. And uh, after they sold him, uh, he went over to Egypt. And a couple of things happened when he got to Egypt. And one of them was this in uh, Genesis uh, 39 from 1 to 6 in the Message Bible, if you will. And he says, and Joseph had been taken to Egypt uh, by the Ishmaelites, Potiphar, an Egyptian, one of Pharaoh's officials and the manager of his household, bought him from them as a slave, right? As it turned out, God was with Joseph, and things went very well with him. So when he got there, because the blessing of the Lord was on him, man, things went very well with him. He ended up living in the home of his Egyptian master. His master recognized that God was with him and saw that God was working for good in everything he did. He became very fond of Joseph and made him his personal aid. He put him in charge of all of his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. From that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian all because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord spread over everything he owned at home and in the fields, and all Potiphar to concern himself with was eating three meals a day. He was going good for Joseph. Everything went very well for him. But back at the ranch, something else happened. And let's go now to Genesis 37 from verse 31 to 35. I'm back in the New King James Bible. And so after they did this, the brothers, the 11 brothers, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the, of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. We don't know whether it's your son or not. Did you read that? So they had a coat, right? Was there some blood on the coat? And so they took it and they presented it to Jacob and they said, here's what we found of Joseph. We don't know whether it's his blood or it's not. And then this is what Joseph say, uh, Jacob said. And Jacob rent his clothes or he tore his clothes and put a sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son so many days. Question. Was there anything there that warranted him mourning? Because we just read, right? The dude is where? In Egypt. And he's doing very well. He's do I mean, he's been promoted. He's now the chief of staff, right? But all the brothers did was present before Jacob uh, uh, the acronym fear. False evidence appearing real. It was a coat and it had blood on it and they let Jacob do the rest. That's why the Bible says be sober so that you don't live your life from a place of speculative imagination. It's just a pigment of your imagination. Yeah. Or figment. That's what it is, right? It's not real. It's not real. And that's all the enemy does sometimes. He just gives you something that is false, false evidence. Just false evidence on a piece of paper written uh, from someone who's got a machine that doesn't operate 100%, right? It's 70%, and they did a diagnosis on you, and they still 30%. That, I mean, that thing could be false, and then they just present you with that thing, and then you do the rest. You kill yourself. You just kill yourself. You're going to do the rest, your figment of your imagination. And so when this dude held... This coat of many colors with goat's blood on it, this is what he said. Verse 35, and all his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son's mourning. Thus his father wept for him many days. So Jacob said, man, I'm not going to be comforted. I'm going to be stressed out. For all the rest of my life. Because my son was devoured by a beast. I saw the coat. I saw the blood. He was eaten by a lion. Was the son eaten by a lion? No, he wasn't. Sometimes 
All the enemy does is give you a piece of paper. This is your diagnosis. And then you do the rest. <laughs> I know exactly when I'm going to die. I know exactly. So I'm going to stress out about this thing from today until the day that I die. Sometimes all the enemy has to do is to present you with your bank balance. <laughs> and then you do the rest. But how many of you know that your provision doesn't come from your bank balance? Amen. It's just false evidence appearing real. And you can cause yourself all kinds of problems. Emotionally, you can allow all kinds of thoughts to be planted, uh, which are just going to paint terrible pictures on the canvas of your heart. And you're going to start believing in that direction and actually bring those things to come to pass with your own faith. When you could have said, you know what? I know Psalm, Psalm 91 says, with long life, God satisfies us. Therefore, I do have a coat of many colors with me. It's got blood on it. But I believe that Joseph is alive somewhere. I like Abraham. He thought of his son Isaac. Even if he dies, God will raise him from the dead. But no, not Jacob. He wasn't sober. Man, I'm telling you, God is calling the new covenant church to be sober in our thinking. To be void of speculative imagination. Man, all of the worry and the fears and anxieties that have been tormenting you, most of them have been doing so because you are not void of speculative imagination. I was there. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I was there. Man, I could come up with all kinds of scenarios. Graduated 2002, took about 12 months before I could, you know, find a job. I could sit there and speculate on how this thing was going to turn out. I could sit there and come up with all kinds of scenarios. Oh, man, this is what's going to happen, and then I'm not going to get a job, and I mean, it's going to be a mess, and I'm going to turn out to be a loser. I could even see it. I could see myself on the streets wearing rags. I could see those things. None of them turned out to be true. And here's the sad reality. That finally, when Joseph was reconciled with his son Jacob, he celebrated. After many years, two decades, he celebrated, but he didn't get any refund on the 20 years that he spent worrying about it. It's just in your imagination. I mean, you can't allow your mind to go crazy. <laughs> Don't let your mind go crazy. We were flying to Cape Town 2013 or 14 for two oceans marathon. My wife was running. I wasn't. And uh, <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Next time. <laughs> we're flying to Cape Town. And we got on the plane, and the pilot said, hey, congratulations. You're the first group of people that are going to fly this Airbus. It's going to take off by itself here at O.R. Tambo, and it's going to fly all the way to Cape Town by itself, and it's going to land itself in Cape Town and relax, sit back, and enjoy the ride. You have nothing to worry about, worry about, worry about, <laughs> worry about, worry, worry. Worry. When I said there, I started thinking. <laughs> Did you say this thing is going to land itself in Cape Town? And he said, yeah, that's what's going to happen. I said, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Two, two hours. It was the worst flight of my life. Worst flight on. I mean, that thing was doing cartwheels. It was spinning, and then it had all kinds of turbulence. I mean, the the wing on the uh, on the right fell off, and then all of this was happening in my mind. It was the worst, smoothest flight that I've ever been on. The thing was smooth like glass. But in my mind, I thought, oh, this thing is going to land on the N1. What if it lands on the N1? What if it lands on the N1? What if, what if, what if it lands in the field somewhere? What's going to happen? Man, I was coming up with all kinds of speculative things. 
The pilot hadn't, hadn't said any of that. It was just me doing, you know, the killing. And so every thought that comes to you, you need to investigate. You need to check if it's just false evidence appearing to be real. Amen? Amen. Those who are still in the market, you know, believe in God to get married. Sometimes the enemy, all he does is present to you with statistics. He says, oh, in this country, there are more men, there are more women than men. And then he leaves you to do the rest. <laughs> yeah, and then you start doing the math. Yeah, yeah, there are more uh, uh, women than men, and half of the men are in jail. <laughs> now, that's you. That's on you. It's not on, it's not on him. All he gave you was the first part, and you do the rest. And you say, oh, yeah, and half of them don't like women anyway. <laughs> we need to pray for them. Hallelujah. <laughs> and that's what you start saying. Now, you are doing this to yourself. And sometimes, you know, someone comes and says, man, this company is not doing well. And, uh, man, we, 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 we're just looking at terrible figures this year. And then they walk away from you. And then you get to do the rest. Oh, yeah, that means in two months' time they're going to be retrenching. And guess whose name is always at the top of the list. And guess what happened? What's going to happen to me? And, this, and then you start working with your own speculative yeah. imagination, and it draws you right into a place of worry and fear and anxiety. What I'm talking to you about this morning is practical. This is where, this is what the enemy has been doing to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the enemy has been doing to us, and it's time for us to fight back. He said the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, which means we have weapons to counter that, and I have to quit because I'm out of time. Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you Father. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, we had a prayer in, uh, in the devotion, this week's devotion. And uh, we were praying this same prayer uh, in our life group uh, last Thursday. And we're going to pray this same prayer together as a family. And so I want you to pray these words after me. I thank you, Lord, for your word that guarantees me a worry-free life. I thank you for giving me divine strategies that enable me to win in this life. I will not be anxious. My mind is void of any speculative imagination. I will not receive any false evidence appearing real. I will not respond to any false evidence appearing real. But I will pray and I will cast all my cares on you, Lord, because you care for me. I will not be consumed with my own interests, but I will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and you will add everything that I need in my life. I will give thanks to you in times of trouble. I will praise you in the midst of life circumstances because I am confident that you will come through for me, that you will provide the solutions that I seek. I choose not to be intimidated by the enemy. I choose thoughts of life and not thoughts of death. I choose to not be limited by the things that I see. But I will look up into the spiritual realm where you have provided every solution to any problem that I may face. I will rest in your goodness and experience your peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for these, your precious sheep. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the insight, the revelation that you have given us. That we can, in the midst of life storms and life challenges, find peace. And so, Lord, this morning, we just thank you 
for that peace. That peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace uh, that is constant. Yesterday, today, and forever. That peace, that wholeness. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Lord, we pray that it is filling up their hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that these, your children, will begin to experience joy and peace from today until uh, forever. Thank you, Father, that even in the night seasons, they will not suffer restlessness, nightmares in the night seasons. Lord, we thank you that your peace will keep their hearts and their minds in Christ. Lord, we just thank you for the promise in Psalm 127 that says it is vain to rise up early and go to sleep late. It is vain to live a life of insomnia because God gives to his beloved sweet sleep. And so, Lord, this morning we release that spirit. We release that sweet sleep right now over every single one of your children under the sound of my voice. That they will rest in the night seasons peacefully. Lord, we thank you that these, your children, will begin to experience a life of peace and joy from today onwards. Father, we just thank you for it. We just thank you for it. And in areas where they've been plagued by uh, speculative imagination, Lord, we pray that you may open their eyes to see that Joseph is alive and is doing well. That the promises of God are alive and doing well. That the promises of God over their lives are still valid, regardless of what they hold in their hands, regardless of what diagnosis they've received and what is it said. Lord, I thank you that you're opening them, their eyes, to see that in Egypt, your promises are very well alive, active over their lives, just like Joseph was alive. Thank you, Father, that they will begin to see in the spiritual realm things that are not present with them in the natural. They'll begin to see them in the spiritual realm. And Lord, we thank you that with those uh, are things that they're going to see, you're going to build such a faith on the inside of them. You're going to build such a confidence on the inside of them to stand on your promises. These, your children, are blessed in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And we give you all of the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And someone said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Man, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is Lord. How many of you know that not your, circ your circumstances aren't Lord? Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Not your circumstance. Jesus. And so we look to Jesus, who is our Lord and who is our Savior. And we know that it's going to be all right. It's going to be awesome. Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. That's